Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, a body neutrality podcast where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they are never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I have with me Daisy Gillespie, who is an anti-diet personal stylist and owner of Mindful Closet, where she teaches women how to release the patriarchal standards that they've been conforming to so that they can uncover their authentic personal style. And her work beautifully aligns with my definition of body neutrality. It's very focused on helping people understand that no matter what shape or size body they have, they deserve uh, to have clothes that fit, that make them feel good, and that express their personal, uh, their unique personal style. Now, since one of the body image complaints that I hear the most often from clients is either I just don't like the way my clothes fit or I just want my clothes to fit better, I am really excited to have Daisy on here today to talk about breaking fashion rules, uh, discarding the word flattering, and developing a personal style. So welcome, Daisy. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have us start with the basics. And can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your business? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Daisy. I would say it's like Stacy, but with a D because it's very hard. Um, and yeah, I um, actually am a former classical musician. So that was kind mm. of my first career. Um, and in my mid 30s, I got really burnt out and decided to try and find and reconnect to the things I really loved and the things that people were asking for my help with. And that was clothes, essentially. Um, so I started my business, Mindful Closet, in 2013. Um, I am married. I live in St. Louis and I have two children, two young children. They're ages five and nine. Awesome. Now, what exactly is it that you help people with? Like when a client is coming to you, uh, what is it that they, what problem are they trying to solve or what are they struggling with? Well, it's interesting. Um, and we talked a bit about this in our, in our first conversation, but it's really interesting because people will often come to me with kind of a surface problem of, oh, I just don't know what to wear. I just don't know how to put outfits together. Um, but what we end up doing is really uncovering the messages they've been given uh, from society, from their mothers, from social media about how they should, and I put should in big air quotes, how they should dress their body. Um, and the reason why I want to work through that with every client is because my ultimate goal is to see this as practice for them in listening to their own needs. Um, and so again, when you kind of have these shoulds around what you should wear or, or how you should dress, you're really paying attention to some external advice rather than kind of looking within yourself and listening to your body about how things feel. I love that. Okay. So in your experience, how have most people been conditioned to think about clothing and style? Like when they're getting dressed, what are they generally focused on? Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, most people have really been conditioned since like very young childhood to focus on what's flattering. Mm -hmm. um, and so every time they get dressed they're essentially worried about how to make themselves look smaller or how to make themselves appear the most pleasing to others eyes um and so that's really that's really where people come in because you know we've all read the books and the articles and the taking the quiz on our the fruit that applies to our body and you know all these different things um and really working through that is um something that's that's really hard and really yeah. important 
So most people then, and this seems really obvious, but I, I don't know that a lot of people necessarily even think about it, that they view the purpose of clothing and style as looking good for others, basically giving other people the most positive, pleasant, whatever experience. And therefore, we have this word flattering that basically means closest in alignment to that positive, uh, you know, pleasurable experience for others. But I don't even think people generally realize that that is how they're approaching closer style. Like people don't go around thinking, I mean, maybe they think I want other people to think I look good, but they're not like, ooh, I get dressed for other people's experience, not mine. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I, I hadn't really ever phrased it that way exactly. And and I think it's such an, a subconscious thing that's such deeply conditioned yeah. in us that that's where I feel like my work really can help people move past some of that because we really like take it apart and we really look at it and say like, okay, what is it exactly that you're worried about other people thinking, mm -hmm. you know, and can we start to prioritize how you feel over how you appear to someone externally? Yeah. So you help people kind of recenter themselves in the experience of clothing and style. Mm -hmm. uh, so I gave this TEDx talk years ago where I talk about the two most uh, sort of biggest compliments you can give a little girl aren't actually about her experience. They're about other people's experience. Mm. Like a little boy, you can say he's brave, he's strong, he's funny, you know, he's smart, whatever it might be. It's sort of about him. Little girl, you say she's pretty and she's nice. These are the two biggest things you're supposed mm -hmm. to be complimented on. And both of them center another person's experience of her. So there's a huge gendered component here. Oh, that, for sure. Not to say men don't also think about what's flattering, but there's definitely a sense that like if you're born assigned female at birth, if you're a woman or a femme, your job is to create an experience for someone else. Yes. And first of all, I love that. I'm going to have to go watch that <laughs> TED Talk. But it's incredible that you're kind of phrasing it that way because, um, you know, we're recording this on a Monday. On Friday, I had a session with a client who grew up with three older brothers and basically just played with boys, like essentially thought of herself as a boy growing up and clothes meant nothing to her. She never thought about it. She never worried about it Interesting. until of course she turns 18 and goes to college and then starts, you know, oh, seeing wow. like, oh, I'm, I'm not really doing what the other women are doing. Um, and so it, it is, it's just fascinating. Yeah. The way that it really is imposed. And she was lucky, by the way, that she had a mother who also didn't care because that wouldn't fly with a lot of sure, yeah. people. You That's know, shocking like, she even got to 18. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it really is imposed at such an early age. Um, and unfortunately, at those early ages, it's usually by the mother or a family member. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we always have to remember, like, those mothers were raised in this air we yeah. breathe of, you know, conforming and being pleasing and, you know, the, the yeah. ideal standards of beauty. So it really goes back um, generations. Absolutely. Um, so tell me more about this word flattering. Mm. If we're going into uh, why it's problematic. I just want to mm -hmm. hear a definition if you have one for like, what do we mean when we say flattering exactly? 
Yeah, well, first a disclaimer, because I always get pushback when I <laughs> talk about rejecting the word flattering, yeah. because many people will be like, oh, but flattering means to me that I just like it, or sure. it just really suits that person or whatever. And I get that. And that is the case sometimes. But sure. generally, the conventional usage of the word flattering is when you really break it down is, oh, that makes your body look smaller or as small as possible, or even smaller than it is. Essentially, you're creating a good optical illusion with your clothing. Um, and again, that pleases the external eye. Um, and I, Wait, I do yeah. want to say, though, because that is for women, but because these things are gendered, uh, for a man, couldn't that optical illusion be about looking maybe not big in the sense of fat, because of course, mm -hmm. fat is never understood to be pleasing to the eye, but like bigger, taller, muscular, something mm -hmm. like that, it's still an optical illusion. So it's absolutely, it's just about creating, yeah, sort of manipulating people's perception to be pleasing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to lose my thought from before, oh, but this is where always the uh, Sonia Renee Taylor's hierarchy of bodies comes in for me, which is when we dress to appear as small as possible or to show a certain ratio of proportions, we're attempting to move ourselves up that ladder, right? We're attempting mm -hmm. to move ourselves as close as possible to whiteness, to, you know, men. Um, and, you know, in some, in some ways, it's a human need. Of course, we, yeah. we all want to belong. But I think once we can kind of look at that and acknowledge it and reject it, if that's not something that's important to us, uh, then we can really kind of use that energy in other ways. Um, and just to go back to the concept of flattering and why I really believe it's, it's, I believe it's harmful in the process of developing your own style. Mm. And I'll tell you the reason for that. Um, you know, a lot of people grew up watching the show What Not to Wear. Um, and of course, they were really dictating like, you must wear this for your body type. Um, and even many years later, even after Stacey London, who has evolved on many things, um, she's really like talked a bit about the harm she did through that show. Hmm. But even still, you know, I don't know, maybe five years ago, I heard her on a podcast interview and the interviewer said, how do we start to develop our personal style? And she said, the first thing is you have to look at the shape of your body. Mm. Like, and that just blew my freaking mind because I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, we don't have any control over the shape of our body. Yeah. You're telling me this thing that I have no control over is supposed to dictate the clothes that I wear? Like, what about what I like? Mm -hmm. What about what I like the look of? What about what pleases my eye? Um, and so when we're striving for flattering, again, we're really prioritizing this, you know, conforming to the ideal standard of bodies. Yeah. Um, and we're really not looking at our own needs or preferences or wants. Um, and just to give you like a practical example, this is one I always use, you know, the conventionalism for someone who is pear shaped, which means they are proportionally larger on the bottom, which is meaningless, you know, it just is a, a, a proportion of body part yeah. to body part. Um, the conventional wisdom is that person should wear like a defined waist, a full skirt, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of hide the offensive, larger, lower body. Um, and <laughs> when you picture that, uh, I know it sounds crazy when you say that, right? Yeah. 
when you picture that you think oh you think like very feminine like oh defined waist full skirt dresses you know and what if this is someone who has no desire to dress in that type of feminine style you would have prioritized making your body look as small as possible over truly your comfort in your skin uh-huh by the way you just described me and my entire experience of growing up and being told that because i have an hourglass figure like all of these styles that would be most flattering on me mm-hmm. made me want to vomit right and even though i followed them to the best of my ability for a very long time understanding myself now my gender identity is non-binary i use they them pronouns it gave me so much freedom to be like oh Like, it's actually a legit choice just to say, I don't like that. I never have. It's not a part of who I am. And I no longer need to highlight my waist. Right. right, I get to wear boxy shit if I want and oversized things that swallow me up because I'm Mm -hmm. petite. All these things, right? Oh, my God. Yes, to all of that. And if it's not flattering, essentially what we are now saying with this understanding that you've just given is I am not conforming to the body and beauty hierarchy that would earn me status and approval in society. That's literally Mm -hmm. all it means. Because it is pleasing to me to see me in oversized boxy things. Someone's still being visually pleased. It's just not that. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot of that can be summed up with, you know, I think a lot about how are we dressing for the male gaze? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so much of that can really be attributed to why we are told to wear certain things. Yeah. Um, Which in itself just makes me kind of vomit in my mouth a little bit. I know. So there's obviously so much fat phobia, weight stigma in this word flattering. There's sexism, patriarchy, uh, because the idea of like essentially what you want to be as a woman is as small as possible. But as you just said, there's also, I think, the idea that um, it earns us male approval in this very odd way, because I feel like a lot of men don't like fashion, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's the Mm -hmm. whole thing about rompers, right? Like (laughs) women love rompers, men hate rompers, but yet still somehow we're supposed to be dressing to the male gaze. I don't know, or like high-waisted pants or something. It really isn't about any kind of individual thing. It's like a vague sense of how we have value to men or how men not as people but as a sort of social force want us to be 100 percent. yeah i mean i think we could call that the patriarchy right yeah it's just yeah it's this is this idea which you know i mean i i'm i know we're many of us here listening probably familiar with um sabrina string's book fearing the black body Mm -hmm. and of course she traces all of those what we think are just ingrained biological preferences for a certain kind of body. She traces all of that back to, of course, you know, hundreds of years ago and racist, you know, origins. And, um, but that is, again, kind of what we as a culture understand to be attractive. uh, And particularly, you know, that's what we understand to be attractive to men. Yeah. So there's something in this I think is really interesting that you described like a lot of the flattering idea is about creating this optical illusion. And for women, that tends to be an optical illusion of attractiveness in this male gaze space. So 
basically, and I know people think of this word as super negative and would not want to use it to apply to this situation, we learn to manipulate men mm -hmm. into liking us mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on our hair, clothing, mm -hmm. makeup, uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's something in that that I think is like pretty dark and we don't mm -hmm. acknowledge. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that again, like is what I'm striving for and, and helping my clients strive for, which is the idea that we do, of course, we're socially conditioned. It's never going to go away. We're always going to have some part of that wanting to fit in, but as much as we can to figure out what is authentically us yeah. and authentically our preference, um, you know, because then, you know, even, you know, ha being in relationship with a male, we ultimately want to be authentically ourselves, right? And so, you know, this is a weird thing. I've, I don't think I've ever, I've done a million podcast interviews. I don't think I've ever said this, but one thing I think about a lot is the thought that if, and, and I'm going kind of off into like beauty standards, sure. uh, but one thing I've often thought is if I became terminally ill or I for some reason was in the hospital for a very long time or or at the end of my life um if I were not able to keep up with all of the maintenance that women are expected to do uh how different would I appear in these settings uh -huh. where I may be dying or or very ill and my thought is always like, I, I, I want that to be as little difference as possible to how I normally Ooh, look. That's a super interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah it's, no, it's kind of it's strange. like authenticity, but through a way that people would definitely normally not think of it. Yeah, yeah. I just think of like, what happens when all of that goes away, the, the, uh -huh. the lashes and the manicures and yeah. the makeup and you know, again, I, I have full compassion for every woman living in this society and feeling, truly feeling like they're doing that for themselves um, without necessarily being able to trace it, you know, to yeah. kind of patriarchal standards. So I have full compassion for all of that um, and for how vulnerable so many of us feel, you know, in certain situations. But um, yeah, that's just something that I, I totally. think about a lot. So I believe fully in like bodily autonomy, full autonomy, full stop. So everyone can and should do whatever the hell they want. There are no right and wrong choices, no body neutral or not body neutral choices. But I also believe in the power of making those choices consciously. If you're like, I get my lashes done and I dye my hair and I do these things and I wear a full contour, like that's what I do to earn the privilege that I need to get the career exactly. I want to get the, you know, lack mm -hmm. of marginalization, whatever it exactly. is, like hundred percent. Yeah. There is a difference between doing it from that place versus yes. this is what gives me worth. So I have to do it. Yes. And thank you so much for bringing that up because I always try and put a disclaimer on any of this talk. The more marginalized you are, the more letting go of conforming to these things could potentially harm you yeah i mean if we think about black women in the workplace and their mm -hmm. hair and what's been required of them i mean there's literally legislation so that people can't discriminate against black women in the workplace yeah. because of how they style their hair if you are non-binary um and are showing up in a certain way that feels authentic to you you know that is potentially dangerous um there I mean, is I think so much privilege in being able to break these rules safely Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I just always want to make sure that's very clear. And I will also yeah. say that I find 
or I believe that those of us who have more privilege, you know, you and I were in, in essentially, you know, straight size bodies and, you know, maybe show up or maybe appear to others, you know, in a certain way. I f- believe that the further we can push those standards and yeah. the more we can try and push the boundaries when we know we're not going to get harmed, mm-hmm. but by us pushing the boundaries, hopefully it, it will eventually trickle down to make oh, moving those boundaries totally. safer for others. I could not agree more. Um, I also want to mention like there is there is a cost to operating with this illusion in the world. There's obviously a benefit. You're going to get more privilege, status, approval, whatever. But there's a cost too. And for most of the people that I work with, the cost is a sense of constant fear and anxiety that people are going to find out the truth Mm. about how they really look Mm. if or when they were to stop following these rules, conforming Mm. these things, doing this beauty labor. So Mm. like, I know for me, I used to get so anxious about a new guy I was dating, seeing my face without makeup because I Mm. was, even though I wasn't wearing a ton, it was still Mm. like, I felt that I had tricked him into thinking I had longer, Mm -hmm. darker lashes by wearing mascara, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that created anxiety. And I always tell my clients, like, your dating app pictures, you know, of course you want to look as pretty, as good as possible, whatever. But on the other hand, if you put up all your best pictures, you're going to be anxious as hell going into date one. Mm -hmm. If you show up on date one looking hot in all these ways that is like labor and illusion, you're going to be anxious as hell on date five. Right. Yeah. Like it's stressful. It comes with a cost. It really, it really is. It's, it's so funny. This is something else that I haven't really talked about. This conversation is amazing. It's bringing up so many <laughs> things for me. I've been married for 13 years now um, and was with my husband for five plus years before that. Um, and I see, you know, on social media or, or in my community, I see women who are, uh, in the phase of wanting to get married or about to get married. And I do really think like, you know, once you're deep into a long-term relationship, the amount of energy that you want to expend on some of that stuff, it's just, it's, you know, it's hard to be in a long-term relationship there. It requires energy and work. And, um, I just kind of want to like whisper to them, like, just, you know, just slow it down now. Cause you know, right now it's like, you're, <laughs> right. you're doing all the things you want to, you know, you're getting married and, and, you know, um, you know, just know that five years from now, you're, you're not going to be doing all this stuff. Like, right. just let me, let me tell you, but God, that's so true too, because I used to be a personal trainer and I, I trained so many women through their wedding. It was like this whole mm-hmm. thing. I was in New York city. Right. So like, what a bummer though later to look back right. and go the thinnest right tannest hottest like right. i i looked so good that day and mm-hmm. i love these photos and i feel like trash about how i look now as an actual yeah. human in the world yeah there's really that contrast and that come down yeah. when it's not something that's sustainable that you're doing yeah Okay. So tell me about fashion rules. Mm. Um, what are some examples of the rules that someone might learn to follow based on body type, shape, size, whatever, for how to mm. dress or yeah, how to mm-hmm. wear clothes? Oh, God, I don't know where to start. I mean, <laughs> there, you know, there's the, as we talked about, um, you know, if you're petite, you can't wear cropped pants. If you're, I was literally just talking to a friend about that the other day. If you are in a larger body, you need to wear clothes that fit closer to your body. So you don't appear bigger than you Mm -hmm. are. 
you know, if you, I mean, this is a rule that, that I had to rebel against myself, but wear more color, just wear more color. Like, no, actually, I don't want to actually, I feel super, I'm an introvert. I'm a very quiet person. You know, I'm supposed to wear red because of my coloring. And I (laughs) feel like a traffic light. If I wear red, I just don't want to do it. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we could just, we could go on, on and on, you know, define your waist, hide your bigger hips, you know, try and downplay your cleavage. There's so much about creating lines. It's mm-hmm. a lot of creating lines, mm-hmm. hiding flaws, highlighting assets and creating lines feel like the mm-hmm. fundamental rules are all sort of based in that mm-hmm. space. I know. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I had a client once who um, came to us, a personal training client way back in the day, came to a session. She was like, sorry, I like couldn't change. And she was wearing six inch heels. And I was like, holy shit, look at your shoes. And she was like, oh, I know. I, I have to wear shoes like this because I'm only 5'3". And I was like, well, I'm 5'3". Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I didn't know that was a rule for us. And she was right. like, oh, well, no, you. And of course had like a whole yeah. thing, like it's different right. for people like you. But um, yeah, she she fully just brazenly stated that if you're five mm-hmm. three, you need to wear six inch heels. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. I was just going to comment on the thing you were saying about lines because that's actually um, one of the factors that I will look at in determining someone's personal style. Um, you know, I always have my clients um, collect Im- images on Pinterest before we meet with very specific parameters, and those parameters are to go on gut instinct. If there's something that you just feel oh that's cute oh i like that i like that you know like there's some sort of emotional reaction to it that's what i want you to save before that censoring voice comes in and the censoring voice that we all hear when we see a garment in a store that we like or we see an image of an outfit on someone that we like the censoring thoughts come in i could never wear that yeah i'm too big for that i don't dress up enough to wear that i you know all these things. So anyway, so that's how we create the Pinterest board is by trying to turn that voice off. It's very, very hard. Uh, But then when I will look at the collection of images that someone um, has put together, one thing we talk about is line. And again, Mm -hmm. I just, you know, it it is a choice. Mm -hmm. You can decide that you like, I call them wavy lines. That means when a garment has a lot of movement, Mm -hmm. or you can decide that you have straight, you prefer straight lines. And that means typically a garment is very tailored and more structured. Um, right now, a lot of people are really liking this, what I call like relaxed lines, which is, you know, kind of fits somewhere around the shape of your body, but, but there are a lot of, uh, it's not super straight and tailored. So I I just thought that was something interesting. But even hearing you talk about that, it's so clearly different from what I learned about lines, which is that optical illusion male gaze kind of thing like if you're short you have to appear taller if you're wide here you have to appear it's like very very much guided through the lens of the person's own experience which is kind of the whole point of what we've been talking about yeah learning how to not dress for the male gaze Mm -hmm. learning how to not dress for like other people's experience but for your own Lines are real they can still be real Mm -hmm. they just don't have to be used as like a manipulative tool Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, by, by doing that curation, we can also see a friend, for instance, I'll give another example. I had a, a client, I do a group program and I had a client in one of my group programs one time um, and she put together her Pinterest board and it was all, I would say lots of wavy lines. There was lots of movement. There was lots of 
soft fabric and if you just kind of envision this um you know flowing fabrics in the wind and there was a lot of print mm -hmm. but a muted color palette more like earth tones and so typically what we call that is like bohemian or something sure. you know and so uh i was like oh well very clearly here's your style and she said oh yeah i've always loved bohemian but i i was i just never thought i could do it because i'm so petite like you said, it was like, yeah. oh, I always thought that would swallow me up. Yeah. And I was like, again, here's a case of someone like completely ignoring what they yeah. like because of this body they've been given by no choice of their own. Right. Do you know what's so interesting? I have, I've always loved clothing and style. Definitely when I was younger, I loved it for the validation it could afford me and also as a, like a self-expression creative thing. But as I've gotten older, I feel like layer by layer, by I've had to unpack each rule almost individually. There was yeah, never a moment where sure. I was like, I'm going to throw all these rules away. It was like there was a day where I realized, huh, the only reason I don't wear blazers is because I think it'll make me look top heavy mm. or whatever, right? And then mm -hmm. it's like, well, shit, how do I feel about blazers? Then I don't know. Now I have to go on a little project right. to find out. Right. Each right. one individually impacts you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the bulk of what I do. Yeah. My clients so cool. is like, let's pick apart, let's pick apart all of this. So I'm curious, like, how do you understand the difference between a person's authentic preferences and likes versus what they've been conditioned? to prefer and like, mm -hmm. like, how do you help them identify the difference? Because so much of this stuff is just gonna be up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I like we were saying, I mean, I think it's impossible for any woman in our society to completely divest from the stuff. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I just I think that's reality. Um, so, you know, again, we do this exercise with the images, um, and I will talk through them with all of them. And people often give a lot away, you know, when they're saying, uh, speaking okay, about yeah. something, I'll say, why do you like this? And they'll say, oh, X, Y, Z, but this or that, you yeah. know. Um, and so we learn a lot that way. And again, my job, I feel like is just to be a guide and just to be a, a noticer and say, oh, okay, well, you, this is how you just, you know, uh, worded that? Have you thought about that? Um, and then there's always going to be a fine line between putting that style into practice versus just seeing it, you know, just seeing it and I like it. And so, yeah. you know, and so a lot of what we do is experimentation as well, which I think is just something anyone who's thinking about their personal style yeah. is just going to have to do. Um, and so I do a lot of trying on with my clients. We do a lot of shopping and we do a lot of trying on. We don't do much buying. Mm -hmm. um, and literally anytime you put a garment on your body, there's something to be learned, you know, either about your preferences uh -huh. or about that type of garment, you know, whatever it might be. So um, it, it, it is a balance that we just work on. I mean, I work with people over eight to 10 weeks, you know, so we're yeah. just kind of going through this slowly. A lot of people will really, you know, I, I, I used to do these in, in like more intense chunks of time, these sessions. Um, actually, that was mostly pre-pandemic when I was doing a lot more in person. Now I only yeah. do virtual, but, and so we would do a lot in a few hours. And then I really intentionally was like, no, we need to break this apart and space this out so that people that can process. Sense. Yeah. yeah. So um, a lot of that comes through. I, I will write follow up notes to every session that we have and people will just write back and be like, oh, my God, I just never thought of it that way. You know, and right. I'm just again, I'm recapping what they told me, uh -huh. um, but it gives them a lot of clarity. You know, what I love about this is 
we we are inclined to follow rules, even if it weren't for the status and privilege and all those things that it earns us. We're inclined to follow rules sometimes just because it's like easier to have a system and know exactly what you're doing. And the alternative can feel very daunting because it's basically, Mm -hmm. I don't know, everything is a grand experiment. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot less structured and clear and, you know. For sure. Well, I think, you know, we've talked before about how much intuitive eating and my work kind of have similar, you know, uh, just philosophies or, or things to think about and and really you know food rules people like them sometimes yeah, because it's yeah. like well if i can eat whatever i want i don't even first of all i mean yeah, I, when i went through the intuitive eating process i was like what do i like i don't know <laughs> yeah. what i like to eat um but then yeah it's like well i could eat anything well that it feels very out of control right yeah. and so similarly i know that that's why people buy how-to fashion books i know it's why they follow instagram accounts that are like here's how you style this um and i get that and i know that that is um overwhelming and you know and i will say you know certain divergences neurodivergences really do need some of those boundaries Mm -hmm. so how i think of it is like we're gonna try and figure that out you know as we are working together and then by the end if that's something you feel you need we can build that for yeah. you. You know what I mean? Based like, on the internal. Exactly. Feedback. Like yeah. if you just don't want to think about your clothes every day, great. Let's find a uniform for you that works. You yeah. know, we're going to invest a lot of thinking and a lot of effort up front to mm-hmm. take that out of your daily thought process later. And conversely, of course, there are people who just love experimenting with yeah. style and, and, you know, and that's just what they want to continue doing. And that's also equally yeah. valid. And it's so cool, I think, the sort of um, analogy here with intuitive eating is that when you start the process, if you've been in diet culture, you've been following these external rules for a long time, part of the overwhelm is just, it's a lot. It's a, it's overwhelming. It's stuff you haven't ever had to run through your own you know, uh, self before. And part of it is that you don't consider yourself a reliable source of information about what you want Absolutely. or like or need or yeah, like when to eat, yeah. how much to eat. you just you don't think of yourself as trustworthy. Yeah. yeah. So you have to go through the process. That's why it takes so damn mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. to rebuild that trust as you experiment mm-hmm. and discover things, get that feedback. Like yeah. it's always w- when we talk about intuitive eating and someone gives me the pushback of like, well, if you didn't, you know, use discipline, you would just like eat Pop-Tarts every meal, whatever. I'm like, I like if you gave a three-year-old even the least disciplined person ever, right? They're going to get a bellyache and decide not to do that too often, right? Like there are built-in mechanisms we can right. trust. Right. Within I, us. Within us. And it sounds like that's what you're offering people, even if ultimately they do like structure, they don't want it to be like a constant creative experiment. You get to build it based on those cues. Yeah. Yeah. And then it is really still pointing them back to the fact that their preferences can be trusted. Their, you know, Mm -hmm. their ideas, their likes, their comfort, all of it is a trustworthy source of information. You don't need a book or an Instagram account. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I I see my work as being an entry point into the practice of listening to yourself and listening to your body. But again, especially women, especially women, particularly, you know, conditioned in this, in this patriarchal society. And we were told over and over, don't listen to that. Yeah. I mean, we're literally told like, I mean, I just think my mom was a teacher and I just think about teachers who can't go to the bathroom. Like they literally (laughs) have to ignore their absolute urgent bodily needs. 
um, you know, because the way the system is set up, it doesn't allow for like that humanity. <laughs> like mm -hmm. this is a human function here. Um, but you know, obviously that's an extreme example. But yeah, in yeah. any way, we're you know we're first primed to see what other people need. You know, yeah. and so uh, what what to put ourselves last. Right. And so when we take all of that away and try and see what it is that we would do, of course, it feels absolutely like, you know, rudderless, like you just yeah. feel like you have no direction. So out of curiosity, in your experience, is it ever the case that a person might genuinely love a particular style or color or aesthetic on other people, but not themselves? Or is that oh, always absolutely. indicating? Yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah. So I call this, I have this concept of looking at fashion like you'd look at art in a museum. So when we go to a museum and we look at the art on the walls, we appreciate it, right? We appreciate it yeah. for its craftsmanship, its beauty. We don't feel like we need to bring it home. Like uh -huh. we don't feel like it has to live in our house. And it's the same for fashion. Um, I, I'm a great example of this. Like I absolutely love like crazy over the top street style and very eclectic mm. dressing. And I tried that for a, a large part of my twenties. Like I really experimented with it. And ultimately I was like, this makes me fucking stressed out. Like <laughs> I, I feel uncomfortable. I feel like people are looking at, you know, whatever yeah. it was, but, but in any case, yeah, absolutely. Um, you can look at something and say like, Oh, I love that outfit. That's so, I love this yeah. or that. And it looks so beautiful. And also I've done some work that I know that's not for me. Yeah. I think that I had to go through that because aesthetically there is that sort of boho femme vibe that is very flowy, earthy, light colors. It appeals to a certain minimalism and beauty in my brain. I have bought so many of these clothing and then never wore them because every time I put them on my body, I feel hateful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am so unhappy. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I think that's kind of a weird, uh, it's weird that we don't know that that can be a distinction almost. Yeah, that's just one of those style things that we are not not a taught essentially, yeah. you know what I mean? That, um, and, and, you know, you have to, sometimes you have to try it. Sometimes you don't yeah. know, you know, and sometimes you have to try it and you have to really tune in to, you know, how you're feeling emotionally and physically in your body, um, and listen to those signals. Yeah. So you mentioned that one of the things you do with your clients when you're trying on clothes is you do it first without a mirror, mm -hmm. which I feel like will blow people's minds. Um, <laughs> what is it that you draw their attention to in that first try on without a mirror? Um, it's really just, uh, you know, first is the physical feeling. Like, how does this feel on your body? Does it feel like too much fabric? Does it feel pinching? Does it feel stiff or itchy? You know, I mean, really, like, let's tune in to just like basic sensory needs first. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit. This is harder kind of without the mirror, but I really want to know, like, do you feel good in this? Like, do you feel like yourself in this? Do you feel cool? You know, like what vibe are you, I, I talk a lot right. about vibes, <laughs> um, yeah. but you know, and then, you know, I want them to get practiced at taking in all that information and not letting the reflection color their opinion. You know what I mean? Like I will have clients try things on and they'll say, oh, this feels amazing. It's so soft. I don't feel constricted. And by the way, some people like some constriction, you know, you know sure, everyone yeah, is different. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, I feel so, you know, and then they'll look in the mirror and they'll say, oh, this is not really, you know, mm. how I wanted to look in this. Uh, and so then we just kind of work on either finding a balance or work on really reprioritizing with how you feel 
a, a higher priority than how you look. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure you do a lot of work around this too, but mirrors are not reality. Photos are not reality. Um, I have so many people come to me and say like, oh, I thought, you know, I thought I felt cute. And then I looked at a photo of myself. Oh my God, and then, so common. Yeah. And so um, I just, you know, I just really want to remind people that when we look in a mirror and particularly when you're trying on clothes, it's not just you looking at your reflection. It is all those thoughts that you've mm-hmm. had over the years in trying, you know, in dressing rooms and and that stuff colors your opinion. And so can we try and just pause, yeah. just detach a bit yeah. and try and get in touch with that? So one of the reasons that it gets so triggering for people when they catch sight of themselves in a photo or even a mirror, I think, um, in the the situation you just described is that there is an aspect of it's like a humiliation aspect of i i dared to feel mm. one way good mm. cute confident whatever mm-hmm. and then i dared to feel good and then i was confronted with evidence that i was unworthy of that feeling mm. that's a really and good way to put it those are the moments that i feel like teach us that we're not trustworthy mm-hmm. right because that's a moment that says your feelings shut that shit down and ask other people because that's right. the real information right yeah and you know it's so it's so fascinating as we're talking about this because um you know our brains lie to us too you know what i mean um totally. it's, it's very hard to figure out like which messages from my body do i listen to you know um i have a another story i i feel like i could i just told my husband the other night i was like i, th- I feel like i should write a book with just clients experiences, you know, or their stories. I could yeah, just totally. love hearing people's stories. Um, in any case, there was someone in my group program um, and she shared with with all of us that she had put on an outfit. She felt really cute. She felt really good. She went to Target. She caught her reflection in the freezer doors, you know, mm-hmm. and she just like her heart just fell because she was like, ugh. This doesn't look good. I'm not. And then she went around the corner to the next aisle and this woman walks by her and I was like, oh, I love your outfit. And then she was back to being happy and feeling good. Yeah. You know, it's really it's hard to know when to trust things. And so in that instance, what I would want to say to that person is, "Okay, you felt good before you caught that reflection. Can we hold on to that? And can we see the reflection as the part that's lying to you? Yeah. Also, I mean, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on is my whole definition of body neutrality is the ability to look at your the process and ability of looking at your your body and other people's bodies without the added meaning and interpretation that we've learned to apply to different things. So really what you're talking about here is like she had almost like um the the freezer doors had a meaning, right? Like the freezer doors said to her you're actually gross or ugly or whatever the thing was right and it's that meaning that causes distress and then the lady in the next aisle gave her a different meaning the meaning was you look good this is nice so like I think part of the skill that we're talking about here of sort of developing that internal centering around style and really everything is the ability to notice that meaning is subjective and if it's subjective and nobody gets the final say on it, who, what, what's your plan? Just like bounce around and, and take in everybody else's or form your own. Right. And have almost have a plan for that 
happening because you know it's going to happen and plan ahead of time whose opinion am I going to you know fall back on which opinion of those crazy things that are going through my head which of those am I going to trust and again you know just that working on it it being like you know how I feel or how you know how I you know like the way those colors go together whatever it is like I know I like that I know I'm going to go out in the world and you know be potentially unhappy and then I just have to remember that was the truth yeah it feels like this would be easier to do in some other ways like if some if someone I always say uh if somebody called you like a blue crocodile or something you wouldn't be offended right you would just be like oh I disagree that's just that's false information that you, I don't know where you got that information but it's just not true um so we trust ourselves when it comes to certain things but then because particularly the focus placed on appearance being for other people and other people being you know it's subjective everyone's got their own opinion it really screws us over and it just feels, I think, like that constant roller coaster of confidence. I feel good. I feel gross. I feel good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can happen all in one, like, 10-minute <laughs> target trip, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think by reflecting back on, you know, there's, like, kind of a meme or a cliche that is, like, you know, you didn't worry. You didn't feel unattractive when you were two years old. Like, that was laid on top of you you mm-hmm. know what i mean and just remembering and for me in my work literally identifying and pinpointing when did those moments happen mm. again when were you taught your body was wrong you know yeah. um and then we can point to those when that you know crazy roller coaster of i feel good i feel bad you know again and, and you know our brains don't always work um, in the moment when we need them to, but you know, the goal would be to remember in that moment, oh, I feel this way because when I was four, my mom said that dress is too small for you or yeah. whatever it was. I have clients do something similar around identifying the meaning because it just strips the the thing of its power when you're like, oh, I'm feeling fat right now and I'm distressed about it. But the distress I'm feeling is based on the meaning I've assigned which says that in order to have value in the world, I have to be thin. And just even naming that, you're immediately like a little bit more embodied, a little bit more grounded. The thing no longer quite knocks you over. It's still Mm -hmm. there. You're still like maybe not happy with it, but it it does take some of the sting out. Um, Okay, so I have this question for you. And uh, I think a lot of people who are listening are probably on board because this is the people who listen to my work are going to be like, yes, like, let's break the rules. <laughs> Screw the male gaze. We're not going to dress to be flattering anymore. Um, but I also think the flip side of that, that sort of devil's advocate that comes in is, but what about the when the rules are accurate? Or like, what about if I really should or shouldn't dress in this color or this thing? Like, how do we understand that some stuff is probably going to look better or worse on different people without getting trapped by the external rules or making it about other people's approval. I just disagree with the whole premise of the question. (laughs) I love it. Say more. (laughs) I mean, you know, you said, what do we do when the rules are accurate? I think that's all subjective. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then you, you continued and you said, you know, something about like when something actually does look better on us, says who, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, um, yeah, that's my answer. (laughs) 
I love it. Okay. So I had jotted down from our first chat that you, you said you get to decide. Right. And I think probably the way I phrased it doesn't really give you the space to even answer it because I presumed that Uh, it wasn't subjective. Right. But of course, of course, they're all subjective. Yeah. um, And, and, you know, I mean, I would just say, you know, you and I talked about like the kind of the color consulting kind of yeah, yeah. industry season. and and all of those things. And, you know, my my answer for everything is always going to go back to, well, what do you like? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so if you get your colors done and you're like, heck, yeah, man, like this looks awesome. I feel so much better. Yeah. And if it, you know, reduces some sort of anxiety by, you know, narrowing your choices to a few colors like awesome good for you use that my problem is when you get told to wear colors you don't actually like or that you don't again feel good and again i I made that um, example earlier about like because of my coloring i should wear red no no i shouldn't i i don't feel good in red um so yeah i think with everything and there's almost there almost has to be a reaction to the reaction sometimes, which is, for instance, I had a client um, who, and this is, again, this is that kind of like, can feminists choose, you know, whatever we want to do? Or is it, you know, this kind of argument that I see going on right now on TikTok is like this, like, are trad wives really choosing? Is it a feminist choice for them to stay home and just cook and clean? and and so the question for me is always going to be colored by our societal conditioning so again you know i I had this client once who you know once we went through this whole process it turned out she really did love very feminine you know hourglass type silhouettes like that was and in fact she was the president of a department uh, or the head i don't know what you call it a president i don't know she was the chair that's what it was the chair of a department at a university and so she was in a real leadership role and she really felt like she should be wearing suits you know very you know professionalism is a whole Mm -hmm. other topic we could go very far into but you know she really felt like she had to kind of mute her personality and her style in order to be in this leadership role Um, And so what we worked on together was, this is what you really love. Can you have such confidence and and trust in your own expertise that you can show up in a pretty 1950s dress and still command the respect you deserve because you have have that knowledge regardless of what you wear. You have that expertise regardless of what you wear. So again, it's like, is it really a choice? Um, yeah, yeah. Is she conditioned in some way? Probably, but sure. we all are. Um, and so, you know, again, and I would just say the only distinction is that's because that's what she likes, not because it right. somehow looks better on her. Totally. I also really love about that, that it it continuously reinforces the fact that the information that you're looking for is actually inside you. You don't need the external rules because if in fact what you prefer is a cinched waist and, you know, this color palette and like certain silhouettes that that the external rules were going to tell you to wear, you can still find that out without the rules. Like that's all right. going to be in there. Right. And if yeah. that's not what you like, then those rules are going to do a whole bunch of harm and make you really confused and insecure. So like 
literally what is the point of the rules then? Well, <laughs> you know, it is, uh, I mean, since you asked, it is to occupy women with these superficial, uh, you know, superficial, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, you know, pursuits or occupations that keep us from fighting our oppression. Oh yeah. Keeps us busy mm -hmm. and it keeps us small, not even just physically, although sure that too, but like it, it keeps us from being in our power when we don't trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. 100%. So, okay. This is the big question here that people say, I just don't like how my clothes fit or I just wish my clothes fit different. This is like often sort of the first thing I hear with a new client mm -hmm. when they're telling me what they're unhappy with. Mm -hmm. um, could you speak to both what is usually meant by that and also how you address it? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, um, I think it's maybe helpful information sometimes. I mean, our bodies and the clothing can give us some help, helpful information, but it's how we interpret it, right? That That is, um, could be harmful to us. And so, you know, your clothes not fitting well is an indication that your body has changed in some way, mm, if right? they used to and now they don't. Yeah, and, and so there's grief around that that we have to work through. Um, and there's attempting to come to a place of acceptance for that. Um, and also, yeah, almost always when I hear someone say, oh, that I don't like how that fits, it's almost always because they're in a smaller size than they should be. And there is so much conditioning around the fact that you should not go up to the next size. You should now attempt to change your body back into the size right. that it used to be. Um, probably my most like viral Instagram post was uh, just a, you know one of those quote things that says build a wardrobe to fit your body not a body to fit your wardrobe right oh so good yeah so and then and then I also there's two more things I hope I remember them both but I also always want to say like yeah there's going to be discomfort when something is different no matter what it is you know if you get a new job or you move to a different neighborhood or you even, you know, I, I don't know, whatever small example there might be, there's always some discomfort and some unfamiliarity. And of course, that's part of what I'm sure you work on with your clients yeah. is just the, the gradual acknowledgement of that. And, you know, I personally, in my experience, it has just taken time, it's always taken time. Um, and then the last thing is that if you don't like the way your clothes fit, it's because those clothes weren't made for you and you know and you have to understand i always i always prep my clients by saying we're going to try on 10 things i mean it's usually 50 or 60 but we're going to try on 10 things and one is going to work for you yeah that's the actual across all shapes and sizes that's the actual like statistical results that i've seen over 10 years of doing this so um you know, you have to, unfortunately, if you have something that you don't like the way it fits, it, it's it's just not, you shouldn't have bought it. You, you should yeah. have tried it on and been like, oh, this doesn't work. Um, and you should have kept trying. And I get that that takes a lot of time and energy and, yeah. and it really does. But, um, you know, I call it playing the fit lottery. Like you just have to try enough things. If you hit on a piece that works for you, great, you won the lottery, mm -hmm. literally. 
Okay. So the fit lottery, I love, I think it normalizes this idea that, uh, we sort of have of like, you know, thin, hot people are like happier. We also just imagine they would have an easier time buying clothes, right? Like it's a fantasy. I mean, obviously they have more privilege, they have a lot of advantages, but if everybody is sort of statistically has to try on a certain amount of clothes, then we shouldn't be feeling bad or blaming ourselves or our bodies when nine pieces of clothing fit poorly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's also, I think, something about like, yes, when you've gained weight, whether through the intuitive eating process or any number of things going on in your life, um, people hold on to those clothes for a lot of reasons, you know, a, emotional attachment, um, a desire to lose the weight again. But there's also, I think, like one of the the rules that we have, kind of like with diet culture, it says basically you should eat as little as possible without having negative consequences. That's sort of the vague you know, even among people who think they're presenting like healthy nutritional information, it's like you should just minimize calories without getting sick, basically. So I think there's something similar when we get go clothes shopping. It's like you should get the smallest possible size without it not fitting. So mm -hmm. or we're getting the ones that fit, but like skin tight, barely fit. So on a puffy day, literally, it's not going to fit anymore. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's something, there's like an attachment to the number, maybe the size number, or just a sense that, you know, if one of our rules was don't get swallowed up by your clothes, it's more flattering to have it fit the body. There is a major resistance in my clientele to buying clothes that are maybe a half size up rather than a half size down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a good opening for me to talk about like the real um, scarcity issues that people in larger bodies sure, yeah. find, you know, um, as much as everything I've said just now, like wear what you want, you know, don't listen to external rules. There becomes an issue when you're a body that is, that clothes are not made in your size. I mean, it's real Sorry. hard to have your ideal personal style when you have no clothes to choose from. Yeah. Um, and so you would not, well, you would believe <laughs> You would believe <laughs> the amount of times I've heard from a client that if they could fit into the largest size at a particular mall store, like Banana Republic is the one that I'm thinking of, um, that felt like a win. And it also felt like a bit of like, uh, there's a real grief when you start to transition out of what we call straight sizes, which is usually up to you know right. 10 or 12 or 14. There's a real grief when you have to size up to not only the next size but like a whole nother sizing system yeah. um, and i find there's a very large area gray area um like a, almost a no man's land of the sizes between a 14 in straight sizes and a 14 in plus sizes they're huh. cut on a different pattern um a 14 w or a 14 in plus sizes is not the same size as a 14 in a straight size store um and there are many women who kind of fit somewhere in that cusp where there's actually not a lot of options they're not small enough for the straight size stores they're not big yeah. enough for the plus size stores um that was maybe neither here nor there but oh, that's um, an infuriating fact yeah oh yeah absolutely um and and just again that reason to know that like it's not your body it's the clothing industry yeah, you know yeah. there's all this just really fucked up ways of functioning yeah in that, in that industry but but it's definitely 
the size on the tag sometimes. Um, I had one client, this was kind of um, an extreme situation, um, but she was just at a place in her journey where she really could not look at the size on the tag. And in fact, she had her partner cover covered all of them up when we were trying on um you know but but again then when you start to size out of what's available um there's a real panic that sets in yeah which is completely valid and completely understandable because there does become a scarcity of options yeah. for you so some of it is not stuff we can think our way out of some of it is systemic right. stuff absolutely and there's a big difference too between like the meaning associated with, you know, like a, a size eight versus a size 10, which mostly is going to be sort of in your own head, the meaning of what it makes you worth or your value or whatever, and the meaning between being able to buy straight size clothes and not. Yeah. Because literally, I mean, yeah, the options change. All of a sudden, you better get real comfortable with cold shoulder <laughs> big print tops, right? Like now yeah. you don't get to have the same right. kind of options. That meaning is going to be a lot more tempting in a lot of right. ways to hold on to the smaller clothes right. or to change your body to meet them. Right. And I do find also in my practice that that cusp is a very particular mm -hmm. challenge for a lot of people um, in terms of clothing. Yeah. And again, I think just acknowledging them and saying like, you're in a really bad spot right here. Like, Essentially yeah. in the clothing world, if you're in that in between straight and plus, it's very difficult. And then of course, if you're above like a size 26 or something or above a size three X, then it's very hard. That's the hardest of course, yep. but that in between uh, phase is very hard. And by just saying to someone like, yeah, this is gonna be extra tough for you, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. and this is, this is the industry oh, problem beautiful. why this is happening. Yeah. And recognizing, I think, too, that like there is a lot of belonging in, in any of these areas that marginalization makes you feel like you don't belong. And if you're in the 26 plus, you are just straight. People are saying we don't want your kind of people on this yeah. planet. Like it's it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. And when you're in the middle, it's like, oh, you're so close to having mm -hmm. belonging, but not mm -hmm. quite. And it's mm -hmm. like a tease. It brings up a different mm -hmm. emotional you have to go through a different emotional process, I think, to to work within that. Yeah. Okay. This was all amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I think the work you do is incredible. I didn't even really get to like have you talk about the steps you go through with your <laughs> clients. Um, anybody who's listening, please go find Daisy's work and check it out. It's so amazing. Um, she was describing to me like the the actual process that she takes clients through and it's just it's so aligned with the work I do and so cool. Um, so Daisy, can you tell people where to find you on the internet? Yeah, I would love to. So my website is mindfulcloset.com. Um, and I, the group program that I mentioned is starting a new round soon. And so if you go to mindfulcloset.com slash making hyphen space, um, you'll find the information about that group program. And I'm on social media at mindfulcloset. Is the making space about like making space in your closet? Is that kind of the... And mentally too. Mm, yeah, letting it. go of really making, letting go of those ideas that we've been taught to make space oh. for what you want, you know? So good. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for being here. 
um, everyone who's listening. I hope that this brings new insights around the clothing thing. It's a big question and it's not one that I often find other professionals actually aligning with me on. I'm like, I can get stuff out of each conversation, but this is rare and it was a real treat. So mm. thank you so much for being here and thank you everyone for listening and I will catch you next week. Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Neeland and I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to this episode of the This Is Not About Your Body podcast. I put out new episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss it. And if you really enjoyed it, please go ahead and leave me a review. Um, also, if you're looking for more information about body neutrality or you want to work with me, you can find me at my website, jessineeland.com. Or you can just purchase my book, Body Neutral, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues, wherever you buy books, ebooks, or audiobooks. We can also connect on Instagram or TikTok. My handle is Jesse Neeland. And because I make this uh, podcast available for free and without any sponsors or ads, you can also feel free to show your support using the Patreon link in the show notes and know that your support, if you decide to uh, participate, is always very much appreciated. Lastly, thank you to my brother, Jason Neeland, for creating the music that plays at the beginning of the show. And thank you for listening, learning, and moving toward personal and collective body liberation. <laughs> <laughs>